Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be back here again and to see so many faces that I recognize. Thank you for having me. In the beginning, the world was formless and void. Tohu vavohu in the Hebrew. Wild and waste. Uninhabitable chaos. And God spoke into the dark, watery chaos, and he ordered it according to his good pleasure. Light, land, and living things all appeared exactly where God told them to be. He gave form to the wild. He gave function to the waste. He shaped the shapeless according to his own infinite wisdom. And it was good. Tov in the Hebrew. He turned this well-ordered world into a home for him and his people. This holy house was actually a flourishing garden. You may know it as the Garden of Eden. But have you ever thought about that? What we call outside was actually a perfectly comfortable home before the fall. But that's how well-ordered everything was. That a garden was a suitable home for God and his people. Don't miss that. God was in the garden with Adam and Eve. So I've already mentioned two Hebrew words. Tohu vavohu and tov. So I'm just assuming that we're all ready to kind of nerd out on the Bible. Because today we're talking about another Hebrew word. But this one, I'm sure you might have heard before. Today we are talking about shalom. But what is shalom? Does anyone here watch The Chosen? Yeah, me and my family love it. We're, we're caught up. We're, we've gone through season three. The end of season three a Roman asks Simon Peter what he means when he says, Shalom, Shalom. And Simon Peter mentions that Shalom means peace. And that Shalom, Shalom means perfect peace. But then he pauses and he reflects. And he says, complete wholeness. What I've tried to do by painting a picture of Eden in our imaginations is to show you what true shalom is. Eden is a place of complete wholeness. Adam and Eve have everything they need. They have bounty in every sphere of human existence. They have been given all the physical provisions that they could ever need. They have deep relational harmony. And in Eden, they dwell in the life-giving, soul-nurturing presence of God. And thus, their spiritual needs are met with abundance. God has ordered this place in such a way that Adam and Eve are set up to flourish and thrive to the fullest extent possible. In chapter 2 of Genesis, after the creation of the woman, they are truly and fully human. This is the paradigm of shalom. Everything is working as it ought to, meaning everything is working as God has ordered it to be. Can you imagine with me what this would look like after thousands of years? Adam and Eve would have been fruitful and multiplied, 
They would have children and their children would have had children and so on and so forth. And no death. Everyone is still alive from the beginning. Great, 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 great grandpa Adam is telling the story of how he named the animals for the 17th billion time. And it would have been just as glorious as the first time he ever told Eve. Adam and Eve were tasked with ruling the earth as God's vice regents. They were meant to cultivate the garden and expand its riches to the corners of the earth. It wouldn't be hard to imagine a great global garden city filled with billions of people living in, a li- living in the life-giving presence of God. Every person truly and fully human, every need, physical, relational, and spiritual, met with infinite abundance. The Garden of Shalom would have become an everlasting city of Shalom. But I know what you're thinking. We don't live in a garden or a city of Shalom. Complete wholeness, to use the chosen's definition, is not how we would describe the human experience at the moment. We all desperately want it, but none of us have it. Everything goes terribly wrong, miserably wrong. Discord is sown, lies are believed, the forbidden is consumed. Beneath the boughs of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God's well-ordered world is being ripped apart in an act of pompous, self-oriented rebellion. God's goodness is being rejected, and man and devil alike initiate a program of decreation. The tove, the good, is exchanged for the low tove, the not good. And you know what happens next. God exiles humanity out of the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Shalom, the place of complete wholeness, and into the wilderness. Relationships are marred. Physical needs are hard to come by. And spiritual death is at hand with physical death soon to follow. Before the first two humans could give birth to a third, they lost Shalom. Choosing their way over God's way led to loss instead of life. Genesis 3 through 11 is a decreation story. The wild and waste, the tohu vavohu that God tamed and ordered for our good and his glory was reappearing in the hearts of humans. They were definitely multiplying. But their human experience was so much less than what God had designed and intended At Babel, we sought to place ourselves in the heights of the heavens above God. But ironically, we actually hit rock bottom as humans. You and I and everyone else in this world are descendants of these people. We have inherited broken hearts and a bent world. We are scattered and confused. No matter how sweet our grandmamas were, we are rebels raised by rebels. Here's my point. 
apart from God, we cannot access and experience shalom. But let's not linger there. Let's move on to the heart of the biblical story. Hope. You see, God knows that we don't have true shalom apart from him. He designed this world from the very beginning in such a way that his people cannot flourish and thrive apart from his life-giving presence. That's the ethos of Eden. The cosmos are ordered according to this truth. It is by design. Humans, are, apart from God, are like fish out of water. We allied with the serpent, the terrible dragon of death and decreation, and our hearts and the world around us began to fray, but God is a mending God. While we wallow in the wasteland, apart from his presence, barely human, he pursues. Of his own loving initiative, he meets us in the wilderness and gives shalom as an undeserved gift. We don't have shalom. And we can't get it or produce it on our own. So in his loving kindness, he gives it to us. Consider the passage that we read this morning from Leviticus, everybody's favorite book. If you walk in my statutes and you keep my commands and you do them, then I will give you the rains in their time. And the land shall give its produce and the trees of the field shall give their fruit. And for you, the, thre the threshing season shall overtake the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall overtake the sowing, and you shall eat your food to your fill, and you shall live securely in your land, and I will give you shalom, the text says. And you shall lie down, and there shall not be anybody who makes you afraid. I will remove harmful animals from the land, and no sword shall pass through your land. And I will turn to you, and I will make you fruitful, and make you numerous. And I will keep my covenant with you. And I will put my dwelling place in your midst. I will walk about in your midst, and I shall be your God, and you shall be my people. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, from being their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke, and I caused you to walk upright. You notice what God is saying here. So, as we languish in the wilderness... As we uh, have been living according to our ways in the darkness, God comes and he says, walk in my ways. The rains will come when they're supposed to. The crops will come when they're supposed to. I will take away fear from you. I will cause you to live in fullness and abundance. I will give you shalom, he says. And that cannot be experienced apart from his presence. So he says, I will dwell with you. I will go with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. I broke the bonds of your, of your slavery and am offering salvation. When we walk in the ways of the maker, we flourish. We thrive. Things start to fall in place as it should. In short, we begin to experience shalom, wholeness, Fullness. But when we walk in the ways of the world, abundant life eludes us. God, rescues, God rescued his people out of bondage and death in Egypt and brought them to his shalom 
giving presence at Sinai. He had them build the tabernacle so that he could dwell with them as a source of life and light in the wilderness. And here in Leviticus, he's promising to give the gift of shalom to those who delight in his will and walk in his ways. Shalom is and always has been a glorious, undeserved gift from God. How are we doing? We're good? You ready to talk about Jesus? Well, good news, because we've been talking about him all along. In a marvelous turn of events, the shalom-establishing creator-king in Genesis emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Being found in human form in the New Testament, the one who designed and established humanity took on flesh and lived a fully human life. The vision of shalom established in creation comes into focus in the person of Jesus. Just as God tabernacled in the midst of his people in the book of Leviticus, promising the gift of shalom if they walked in his ways, so Jesus tabernacles, same word in the Greek, in the midst of his people in the first century. John tells us that Jesus is the creator the maker of all things, that in him the world was formed and filled. He, along with the Father and the Spirit, ordered chaos and established the boundaries of the waters. He has fashioned a house. He was fashioning a house and turning it into a home for him and his people. He is the God of the garden. He walked in the midst of Eden with the first couple. He is the God of Shalom. Jesus tells us that if we drink his water, we will never thirst. If we eat his bread, we will never hunger. And, if we, and, and that in him we will find full and abundant life. He restores sight to the blind. He opens the ears of the deaf. He feeds the hungry. He casts out demons. He cleanses the leper. He comforts the afflicted. He raises the dead. It is through Jesus that God is reconciling all things to himself. Jesus extends his mending mercy to the broken, bringing shalom through the blood of his cross. The gift of shalom is found only in God. To be more specific, in Jesus. If shalom, complete wholeness, being fully human, is found only in the life-giving, shalom-bringing presence of God, then it cannot be found apart from Jesus, who is God with us, Emmanuel. Now I should say here that my sermon actually only has two points. The first is that shalom is a gift from God. We saw that Eden was a picture of shalom, And it's something we can only experience in the presence of God. Wholeness, fullness, no needs, unmet. And we wondered what this world would have looked like if the fall hadn't happened. The Garden of Shalom becoming a global city of Shalom. More on that in a minute. We saw that humans rejected the designer's design and were exiled from the Garden of Shalom. But we also saw the relentless love of God as he pursued his people into the wilderness, promising the gift of Shalom, of wholeness, of things working as they ought to. Here, 
a vision of broken humans becoming fully human comes into view. And we have just seen how far God will go to restore shalom. God so loved the world that he sends his son to heal and to mend, to forgive and reconcile, to call rebels to repentance, and to provide abundant, never-ending life. So if the first point is that God gives shalom as a gift to his people through Jesus, the second point is this. His people are commissioned to bring shalom to the world. Point one, God provides shalom in Jesus, complete wholeness, abundant life, relational, physical, spiritual needs met. Point two, God pours that shalom out into the world through his people. Jesus is the God who spoke to Moses on Sinai. He spoke from the top of another mountain, this one in Galilee. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives divine wisdom and instruction and puts forward a vision for flourishing among his people. In the midst of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Blessed, or flourishing, are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. Now here we run into a small translation issue. Because you see the word, the English word peace is really too small of a container to hold all that shalom means. The Greek word irini is the word of choice for translating shalom from Hebrew to Greek. And then the word peace is the usual word translating irini into English. But each time we translate, we lose a little bit of something. Peace in English, usually means something like lack of conflict or inner tranquility. But I hope you can see that shalom is so much bigger than that. Remember what Simon Peter in The Chosen said? He said shalom means peace and shalom, shalom means perfect peace. And then he pauses for a moment and he says complete wholeness. Eden isn't a safe place from harm. It is a very picture of flourishing, of fullness, of thriving, of everything in creation working in perfect harmony just as God intended it to. Shalom. Listen to what the prophet says when, when he talks about Jesus. For unto us a child has been born, a son has been given, and the, and the dominion will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of... What, what do you think the Hebrew word is? <laughs> shalom. He's the Prince of Shalom. His dominion will grow continually. And his and to his shalom there will be no end. Back to the Sermon on the Mount. What is the Prince of Shalom saying? He's not just saying, hey, be peaceful people. He's telling us to be peacemakers. So we need to blow that up into shalom bringers. Jesus' people thrive and flourish when they bring shalom. Did you catch that? We flourish as followers of Jesus when we help others flourish. 
when we bring shalom to others. We also imitate Jesus when we bring shalom into the wild, disordered world around us. You'll notice that God regularly uses people to bring about his purposes. Adam and Eve were to extend God's shalom to the world, to the end of the world. When God wanted to begin the mending process, he called Abraham. When he wanted to release the captives from Egypt, he called Moses and Aaron and Miriam. When he wanted to call the Ninevites to repentance, he had a fish swallow a reluctant prophet and vomit him out on the shore. There are myriads of examples, but just don't be surprised that the shalom-bringing mission of Jesus is now being carried out by his spirit-empowered church. We are ministers of reconciliation and restoration. The resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, Shalom to you, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Bringing shalom is the mission of the church. We bear the good news of Jesus, the fount of every blessing. But we don't just bear it in words only. Shalom bringing is so much more than speaking. We need to be mending the frayed ends around us. Like Jesus, we need to bring order to chaos and help broken people in a bent world. The brother of Jesus, James, says this, if somebody is poorly clothed, and lacking food for the day, and one of you shall say to them, go in shalom, keep warm and eat well, but does not give them what is necessary for the body, then what's the benefit? As the body of Christ, who is the God of shalom, we feed the hungry, we comfort the afflicted, we clothe the naked, and so on and so forth. All in the power of the Spirit and thus to the glory of God. The message of the gospel on the lips of those who are actively mending what is broken has the power to transform the world. Some of you might know that the scene from The Chosen that I mentioned has one more line that I haven't said yet. The Roman asks Simon Peter why he says shalom, shalom, and Peter says that shalom means peace, and that shalom, shalom means perfect peace. And then he pauses, and he, he says, complete wholeness. But after that, the Roman reflects on what Peter is saying. He says, that'll be the day. And you know what? He's absolutely right. There is a day coming that every follower of Jesus longs for. A day when all brokenness and rebellion is cast into outer darkness forever. When all tears will be wiped away and death will no longer exist. And mourning and wailing or pain will not exist any longer. Yes, that will be the day. Capital D. And the holy city of God descends and God makes his dwelling on earth once and for all. God's vision for complete wholeness in a well-ordered global city filled with his life-giving, shalom-bringing presence will come. When you get home today, go read the first two chapters in the Bible and then go straight to the last two chapters in the Bible. It'll blow your mind and swell your soul with hope. So we need to move forward from here out of this gathering this morning with a new sense of mission 
as we anticipate the day that the God of Shalom returns. Let us bring the burdens of the needy and bring wholeness to the empty and the broken. We are God's spirit-filled agents of Shalom. What was lost in Eden, God is bringing to this world through his people. To the glory of his name. Let me end with this benediction from the second letter to the Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of Shalom himself grant you shalom through everything in every way. And may the Lord be with all of you. Amen.